Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. next interview is with Karen Doherty. She's a psychotherapist who is a psychoanalytic candidate. Maybe by the time this airs, she will in fact be a psychoanalyst. She's also, though, a filmmaker. She's a producer. She's a director. She's got an incredibly interesting uh, past. Uh, check her out online, uh, her website. Um, but more importantly right now, and look for the bio for that, but more importantly, uh, listen in to the, the interview. We talk about why certainty is dangerous and why we need to be comfortable with, you know, not knowing. Uh, and, and this mask of happiness that we all seem to carry around with us and this idea of the frozen smile, we talk a great deal about transgenerational, uh, ch- transgenerational trauma. It's tough to uh, pronounce, never mind to explain, and Karen and talks about it a great deal. So listen in. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. Uh, lots to learn here. Karen is terrific. We had a wonderful conversation. Could have gone on much longer. Hopefully we're going to do a part two. And uh, there, there's something here for everyone. So again, I uh, hope you enjoy the interview. DavidPeckLive.com. Uh, check uh, out the list. We're getting close to over 150 uh, interviews posted. Rabble.ca. Uh, also, uh, interviews hosted there. And we'll see you very soon. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today, uh, Karen Doherty. Uh, she's joining us here today. I'm actually sitting in her office. She's a psychotherapist and apparently, and we're going to ask her about this, a psychoanalytic candidate. Karen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. I just want to be really clear. I, appara- I you, you, you made note of it, Karen. I'm sitting in the patient's chair. <laughs> you are. You're in the therapist's chair. I know. So... Should I be concerned <laughs> is my first question. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Maybe because I, I don't say a lot in this chair usually. Right. So maybe uh-huh. we should... Swap chairs and yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, I guess you're you're well. You know what? One of the themes uh, as a development guy, uh, my listeners will know, is that we talk a lot about listening. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of stepping into another culture, cross-cultural communication, the ability to uh, not assimilate but to be aware is all about 
not saying a whole lot, right? Taking in observations, being, being a bit of a poet, I suppose, mm -hmm. and just listening and watching and so on. But I hope you're not going to do that today. So <laughs> I'm here to ask. And, and the other question, really important, is are you charging me for this? Is, I uh, will not charge you <laughs> okay. for this. That's, are you charging me? That's for right. That's right. <laughs> this is great. So we can just see this as a therapy session and we'll be fine. Okay. So, so, so you're a, a filmmaker, you're a producer. So, I mean, I've. I've Spent a little bit of time online, and by the way, uh, folks, Karen Doherty uh, C A. That's D O U G H E R T Y dot C A. Check her uh, practice out online. You're a, f a filmmaker, um, TVO producer, director, story editor. I mean, fascinating past, and here you are sitting in a psychotherapist chair. Mm -hmm. First question, though, I want to ask before we get into this: Can you make the distinction between a, a psychotherapist and a psychoanalytic? You say you're a candidate for that, so you're, you're studying, yeah. you're about to be tested. I am a candidate at the Toronto Institute of Psychoanalysis, and I uh, actually did a couple of years at the Toronto Institute of Contemporary Psychoanalysis. There are two institutes in the city. Oh, okay. One is uh, more sort of towards relational uh, and psychology um, in terms of uh, how it got its start. Uh, whereas the TIP, the institute I'm at now, is the old school uh, institute. In other words, it was founded quite early on. It's uh, internationally recognized. It's part of the International Psychoanalytic Association. So I, I, uh, I jumped ship after two years at the TICP and now I'm training as a psychoanalyst at the TIP. So the difference, you asked, between psychoanalysis mm -hmm. and psychotherapy uh, there, you could read books and books and books on this, I'm but sure. I'm just going to make a quick distinction and point to the couch right here. So this couch is a psychoanalytic couch. Uh, you're sitting in the chair, face-to-face -face, um, psychotherapy, uh, whereas psychoanalysis is, generally speaking, uh, the distinction is about frequency. Hmm. So at least uh, three, um, but more usually four or five times a week on the couch. Right. So psychotherapy, generally speaking, once a week, twice a week. So obviously the couch, uh, you're, I'm not looking at you. That's right. So, so I've heard things before that, you know, men, the reason why men golf, I mean, we're going to go all sexist and divisive here, but the <laughs> reason is because, you know, you're never really looking at each other face to face. You're always in the cart or when you fish, you're, you know, when you're driving, that's when men chat, right? Because they don't look at each other. Are we, is that that's part funny. of that distinction that we're talking about? Men and women, I'm sure. Yeah. But I just, you know, I heard that fairly recently in a conversation. That's funny. I, I hadn't thought about that because as of, you know, we talked about also I'm a filmmaker and, you know, sometimes when you're doing a documentary and you want somebody to just riff, you, you'll you put them in a car and, and where they, oh, when they're driving, they, they don't have as much attention to the sensor. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So maybe maybe that's connected somehow. But I think the, the idea of the couch is, yes, you're not distracted by um, the, the social niceties of the face to face, first, first of all. Right. But also it's a place where we can regress. Mm. Um, yeah, which is important. In so the idea of regress, in other words, go de go deeper is go younger. Oh, go younger. Yeah, regressing is sort of going back developmentally so to a place. So child memories, uh, you know, obviously I go to abuse, but those those types of things. What happened when we were in formative years? It's not so much about memories, but about your state, hmm. your emotional state. So 
we, when we sit face to face, we're more um, likely to kind of be adults, right? Right. Whereas. Well, you uh, use the word niceties. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Social niceties face to face, right? So um, there's a, there's a, there's a, so presumably there is a wall here between you and I right now, in a sense. In a sense. And in a sense, it's, the wall is just social society, right? Right. right. Um, a lot of my patients actually sitting in that chair won't, if they're, if they're really kind of doing free association, which is what we want in, in here, that's one of the elements of psychoanalysis, free association, right? Um, they won't really be looking at me very much. They'll be looking somewhere else, hmm. right? Because looking is, uh, it's, it's actually quite stimulating. Uh, are the eyes the key to the soul? Is that sort of... <laughs> well, we can talk about that when we talk about the film that I'm making. Yes, yes. Right? So why, so, so interesting. So why the, sh I mean, it, I was going to say why the shift, but it doesn't sound like you have shifted because you're, 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 you're dancing in several worlds. You're filmmaking, yes. you're editing, you're, you're producing, you're, you're, you're psychoanalyzing. Mm -hmm. It's Obviously, all of a piece. Well, exactly. I yeah. mean, you know, to say think that it's all connected seems almost right and cliche in a way. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, the, the older I'm getting and I'm now, I'm now half a century, 50 just recently. So it, it really is all connected for the love. I mean, mm -hmm. I was on the phone with a philosopher yesterday doing an interview and, and, and you know, truth is relational. And why is it taking us so long to figure that out? Mm -mm. It's, it's not mathematics. <laughs> mathematics is bullshit, <laughs> right? On some level, right? And and so Larry uh, Lawrence, his comment yesterday was that well, hang on, Plato was so wrong, you know, to be suspicious of the arts, to be suspicious of, you know, uh, victims of magic, said Plato. You know, mm. you, you're being deceived. Mm. Whereas Lawrence is after 25 years of teaching. Uh, philosophy and performing and so on. He says, "Hang on a minute. This this is where it's at, mm. right? Not in that analytical sort of mm -hmm. kind of tradition, if that makes sense." Yeah. Well, I think in a way you're talking about uncertainty, mm. not mm -hmm. knowing. That's the essence of psychoanalysis, for sure. You know, uh, like how do we how do we get to a place where we're just a little bit more comfortable with not knowing? Because what we don't know really anything and and it's certainty that gets us in trouble in the world right and so that's sort of mostly what I'm doing in here is sort of being comfortable with my own uncertainty about what might be going on within someone but also helping someone to get to a place where they're comfortable with the uncertainty of being in the world right because the world's a, a hard place to be it is a hard place to be and you know and yet as I again get older I mean I am seeing the that 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 crazy beautiful world yeah. in front of me yeah. you know with eight and ten year old kids raising them Elizabeth and I you see the liabilities but you also see the wow this is really quite awesome yes right and I guess so what you're saying is it's a balancing act is it kind of yeah it is but we're also talking about I mean, when I'm talking about my patients, I'm talking about people who are suffering too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like profoundly suffering. And so Freud, you know, the father of psychoanalysis, he, he figured psychoanalysis for him was really about getting people who are in a state of abject misery to a place of everyday normal unhappiness. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the opening line of my autobiography. <laughs> 
That's, Which one? Yeah, <laughs> Object yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The, the, we got to get from suffering to just sort of being miserable, but yeah, but, but being, happily being, miserable. Yeah, like being yeah. okay with how 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 hard it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because sometimes it's fantastic, and and sort of being able to weather the storm. So. That's the idea, I guess, behind psychoanalysis, at least these days. So, so, so do you not trust people that you meet that are always happy? Happy with a small H, by the way. Well, yeah, big H, small H. You can, qualitatively, I think you can tell when someone has their mask hmm. of happy hmm. versus someone who is sort of at rest. Right. Right? So I think, yeah, I don't... Um, and... And I would add that when you see someone with a mask of happy, what you what an analyst might think, and I'm not saying that I'm psychoanalyzing everybody all the time because I'm not. How come you're not making notes on this conversation? <laughs> you're making notes. I, I, that's right. I want I want your insights when we're done here. Yeah. Over over coffee. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I do think that a, an uh, analytic mind would maybe see someone with that happy face. Um, you know, the frozen smile or the always right. happy as someone who is disavowing aggression, their own aggression that they're not allowed to have. So help me solve a problem here with my wife, Elizabeth. <laughs> so what's so funny about us is, you know, so, okay, I got to tell this story and I've probably told this on, on, the, on the podcast before. We're driving home from Aurelia. Kids might have been in the car, not sure. I look to the, we're in Holland Marsh area. Mm. I look to the left, I swear that I see a tornado cloud, a funnel cloud coming across. You know, that would be a place you might see. Absolutely. That, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of an area. It's sort of the snow belt. I, I mean, I think it, you know, you can get some extreme weather up there from time to time. And I've certainly heard about tornadoes touching. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it actually turned out to be a rainbow. So um, Elizabeth, of course, was the first to notice that it was a rainbow. So, I mean, this is tornadoes and, and rainbows. This is kind of the dynamic. Maybe that's um, the name of your autobiography. Maybe that is the name, yes, yeah. <laughs> but so Elizabeth has this ability uh, to, to look on the bright side, to, mm. to see things in a way that I often don't. And so I've, I'm at the point in my life where I actually have a reminder in my BlackBerry uh, that says more positive language. Just use more positive language, Pack. Mm. For heaven's mm -hmm. sakes, like mm. try to. It, so, in other words, is it about getting out of the right side of the bed in the morning? Is it about? I mean, is this about choosing to not be abjectfully miserable? <laughs> and well, I think that's. I think that idea that we can just sort of choose. Um, our temperament, because you're really what you're talking about right now is it's your good. temperament. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It, that's a bit of a burden to hmm. place on ourselves because well, there's a real condition there, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think you know, temperament is different from symptom, right? So, so if if the fact that you can only see the darkness is a symptom somehow of some unmetabolized trauma or something, then then that can change. But if temperamentally you're just someone who, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for what we're born with. Um, if temperamentally you're just someone who kind of sees things in a certain way mm -hmm. um, and in your condition just from birth to do that, then then you don't want to have to put pressure on yourself to take that away. Would you say um, that temperament is, I mean, again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, to, to dualize the conversation here or to polarize it, I suppose is a better word, but 
I mean, it's 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 rarely either or, right? So temperament is going to be upbringing. It's going to be it's going to be nature and nurture, is it? Absolutely, not? it yeah. is. Yeah. It is nature and nurture. And and again, this is uh, the film that I'm working on right now is uh, uh, largely looks at that. Yeah, when we're babies. Right. This is the piece on mother infant uh, communication. Yes, a documentary um, about the work of Dr. Beatrice Beebe who is a, uh, an infant researcher sh uh, in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University in New York. And she's just this amazing woman who um, for 40 years has been studying mother-infant communication using video microanalysis. Hmm. So what she does is she, she has a lab at Columbia and she, in the lab, she'll bring in a mother and a four-month-old infant, right? It's usually a mother. Sometimes it's a father. Usually, usually it's a mother and a four-month-old infant. And she puts them in the lab. She puts a camera on the mother and a camera on the baby. And the instructions are interact, interact. as you would. No toys. That's all. Um, and she records the first uninterrupted two and a half minutes. And then she does microanalysis, so second-by-second hmm. second or frame-by-frame frame analysis of the dyadic interaction between mother and infant. So what the mother does and then what the baby does and then when the baby does that, what does the mother do? So contingencies, right? It's an interaction and from that she can, from that 230 frames, she can predict your attachment style as a one-year-old, and of course at one, with the Ainsworth strange situation, which is a psychological test you probably have seen where you take a, a mother and a one-year-old into a room, then the mother leaves, what does the baby do, right. then you bring right. a stranger in, right. what, that's the Ainsworth strange situation. We can predict from that at one year what your adult attachment style is going to be. So when I say that, what I mean is, are you going to be someone who is... Um, nice and normally attached so no no anxiety so good good solid attachment so when you say attachment do you mean relationship i do period i do you don't necessarily mean the, a partner attachment you could just mean all um, related how you, yeah how you deal with human beings how you deal with human beings and the world and the world yeah. yes yeah. the objects your objects so uh in psychological speak that's your people but also your stuff your things your world and so so are you going to be um, have a nice secure attachment or are you going to be anxiously attached? There, so there are three types of anxious attachment. Um, I'd probably suffer from all three, just so you know. <laughs> well, save, you, save you some time there. <laughs> so there's, well, there's anxious attachment, there's insecure attachment, right? right. There's, uh, but there's also, you know, we can, see, we can see the roots of psychopathology, the roots of madness even. Hmm in, in uh, certain kinds of um, insecure attachment, right? So, so she can predict, Beatrice Beebe, from two, 230 frames between a mother and an infant, what that infant is going to, how that infant is going to relate as a one-year-old, and from there we can say how that infant is going to relate as an adult. That's pretty fascinating it, stuff. It is, it's incredible. And is the idea that this is just a study or is the idea that then to hopefully shift behavior as a result of this it's 230 both. frames? What's amazing is, so she's been doing this for 40 years. Wow. So, okay. so there are 40 years of lab footage. 
So uh, can I tell you how I came to yeah, make this Yeah, please, film? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, the implications, you know, I mean, all oh, my listeners know about my incrementalism and little yeah. things making a big difference and always, I don't I don't try to contrive uh, the in the interviews that I do, but there's always something. Yeah. There's always something there that you just go, holy smokes, this could change everything, right? Well, that's how, that's how I feel about her work. Right, because I what, the first time I saw it, and what happened was I was at the Toronto Institute for Contemporary uh, Psychoanalysis, and she was brought in as one of the our special guest mm. lecturers. She was giving a series of talks in Toronto that were just flat out sold out, huge auditoriums filled How with old people. Of a woman, she is a woman of a certain age. A certain age, okay. And she is absolutely beautiful, um, absolutely lovely, and, and uh, just what you would expect from mm-hmm. someone who has been mm-hmm. playing with babies for right. all, her whole life. Right. Um, so, but we had the um, privilege of having her come in and teach our small class the night before she was giving these massive um, lectures that she gives all around the world. And so I didn't know who she was at the time because I am not a psychologist. She is known, very, very well known in psychological circles. And a lot of my classmates at at that institute were psychologists who knew of her work. I didn't. I was the last to arrive. Everyone was so intimidated by her that the seat beside her was the only one that was empty. (laughs) Right? I didn't know who she was. I wasn't intimidated. I sat down beside her. And so for the rest of the evening... I was the baby, and she was the mother, so she needed a baby. So by the end, I had imprinted, basically. There was an imprint happening. <laughs> we had bonded. And at the end of the evening, I also said, Beatrice, you know, I've been watching this video footage, and that, you know, for the last 40 years, you've been taking this this footage, and, you know, the hairstyles are changing and the clothes are changing but the mothers and the babies are staying the Mm. same and it's really remarkable and Beatrice is growing up in the footage too because she's in uh, she goes and plays with the baby after the mother plays with the baby and then shows the mother the footage so I said you just have to make a film I mean this has to be a documentary you must make a a documentary and uh, I make documentaries I I can tell you Uh, and she said okay and that was that easy. That's how she is. Wow, not, not a whole lot of arm twisting. Going no, there. and so we started working right away on um, on a proposal, uh, mm. and we thought about different ways that we could do it and different sure. films we could make. Because uh, she's been doing it for forty years, she has longitudinal studies. Wow. So she knows. She's yeah. Uh, what happens to the babies, right? Right. Um, also, she she's working with nine eleven, uh, the widows of nine eleven, and she's been working with the babies of nine eleven. So the the babies who were in utero when their fathers died in nine eleven, mm-hmm. Beatrice has been following since they were born, right? Uh, and working with them as an intervention, right? Um, she has uh, well, it's not just Beatrice. She has a whole group of people. Beatrice has many people and many groups. So um, so making the film grew out of that, and then we saw that there was a, a video grant um, being offered through Psychoanalytic Electronic Publishing, which is the database in the world hmm. for uh, psychoanal- psychoanalysis for journals, and they've started giving out video grants. So we applied for the grant, we got it, and right. then I took it to, uh, to Q Media, and uh, so I'm working on it there. Um, so that's how the film sort of got started. And that's going to be, is it, is it going to be, is it a festival release? You going no, it's going to be on PepWeb. That's, oh, okay. that's where it will be. And, but we're making other films. I just made a DVD for her new picture book. 
she's putting out a, um, the mother-infant interaction picture book uh, that was inspired by the work where she had hired, hired an artist to do drawings, basically, uh, because, to preserve the anonymity of the mothers. Right. And that's uh, her, Phyllis Cohen, one of her colleagues, and Frank Lockman co-authored this book. It's coming out. W.W. W. Norton is uh, putting this book out soon, so I just did the the DVD for that mm, book. Neat. We're working on a bunch of projects together, so but it's all about this sort of like interaction between mother and. What's infant. remarkable is, I mean, I have no idea what the conclusions are and so on. I don't even know if you want to talk about that kind of stuff right now because of the film coming out. But two and a half minutes is a very little time, it's and yet ridiculous. It seems absurd. So much information about. And so what we're focusing on in, in this film for PepWeb is actually kind of what we were talking about earlier, about looking mm. and eyes. And um, because the film is about looking and looking away. And it's very, very simple. Very, very simple. And this is also about how Beatrice's work is used as an intervention, right? It's not just research. It can also be used as an intervention. So when we're looking at each other, um, when human beings look at each other, as I said before, it's very stimulating. And we only look at each other for longer than eight seconds or so hmm. when we're fighting or making love. Hmm. Uh, that, that's how overstimulating it is. So when you have a mother and an infant playing together, right before the infant looks away, as an infant must, to, to his heart rate is up, right? He's, he's overstimulated and he needs to downregulate. So he, he looks away to downregulate. You see this. Hmm. When the baby looks away, what the mother does when the baby looks away is key. Does the mother wait for the baby to downregulate and come back? And does she then rejoin the baby? Or does the mother follow the baby? Does the mother somehow communicate to the baby, where did you go, wait, wait, what's wrong with me? Am I a bad mother? Uh, are you rejecting me? Does the, ba does the mother actually, some mothers, and it's very difficult to watch, will actually turn the baby's face back to them, which is really, really, um, yeah, as I say, it's difficult to watch because the baby never learns sort of how mm -hmm. to downregulate. Right. So when you think about people who can't kind of self-regulate, yeah. We can we can see the roots of it right there in how 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 the baby and the mother are doing that rhythmic sort of dance, right? Um is the is the mother anxious when the baby looks away or is she okay? If she's okay, we have the roots of secure attachment. It's 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 actually that simple. It's that simple. Wow. It's also not set in stone. Right. Which right. is the other really well, important thing to, to say. Well, there has to be a lot of sort of externals and push-pull factors, and if it really is nature-nurture, I mean, there's a lot of other things that I would... Variables. Yeah, I mean, I think... I would imagine. One of the things is that, that you can do an intervention. Right. Which So Beatrice will actually, and she's taught other people to do this, she'll show people, mothers, the video, and she'll point out to them what they're... What, how wonderfully they're doing certain things. Sure. Yep. But then she'll also maybe say, you know, what were you feeling here? And the mother might say, well, when my baby looked away, I was feeling like maybe I wasn't entertaining the baby properly and that I have to entertain the baby all the time. And Beatrice will say, you know, you don't, 
you're actually doing great. You don't need to entertain the baby all the time, actually. And the baby, you know, the baby needs that. Here's what's happening. And that in itself can change the trajectory of a life. Right wow. there. Wow. That intervention. That's incredible. Yeah. I've interviewed mothers who will say that for the film. I've interviewed mothers who say that changed everything. I thought I had to entertain my baby constantly and sing to my baby and be there for my baby and right. provide right. what the baby needed right, right as the baby needed it. Mm -mm. Right, right, right. Well, what's so fast? So just let me, if you don't mind. Uh, so Simone de Beauvoir and the ethics of ambiguity, and I talk about this fairly regularly because I think it's so uh, essential to to our understanding of who we are and how we relate to others. Said that you know a man's unhappiness is first due to his having been a child, <laughs> which I think is a quote of Descartes. Actually, it's chapter two, ethics of ambiguity. Wonderful phrase, but she talks about how we are we live under this umbrella of protection. Mm kind of oversimplification umbrella protection blame our parents and then eventually we realize holy cow holy smokes, you guys lied to us now what now what do i do yeah and then it's we, we we all of a sudden realize we have all this freedom we don't know what the heck to do with it so we react we overreact we overcompensate we realize our attachment i suppose uh approach is maybe a little out of uh, order or out mm. of check mm. and then we overreact and then she goes on to argue you know it's controversial for sure but different types of people come out of this reaction this we don't want this freedom but if it sounds to me in a way it's connected to this in a way like yeah. this the notion of self-regulation mm. is a let the baby do it on their own Right? Isn't that? Isn't there a yeah, bit of that Yeah, the baby there? has like, to learn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, and this is another and and it's great that Beatrice is a, uh, a psychoanalyst as well because psychoanalytic thinking knows that with with all this infant research, neuroscience, and psychoanalysis, we know so much now uh, about the 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 origins of you know the way that we are in the world, right? So, but what's what's so fascinating is when a baby is born. The baby doesn't know that there are other people, right? The baby doesn't have any idea when, when, when it's first born that anything exists outside of itself. And so it believes that it, and babies don't really think, right? Babies hallucinate. It's the sort of the proto-thinking. So babies will hallucinate um, the breast, let's say. So baby's hungry, I'm hungry, and all of a sudden food appears. Right. I made that happen. So right. right? If if that is not so if if everything the baby imagines uh, is needed for itself appears exactly when it wants it, then the baby never learns to think. Right. Because the gap because eventually that's not gonna happen as soon as you want it, right? Right. Right. And so, so right. we need to be frustrated. It's called optimum frustration, optimal frustration. We need to be frustrated to a certain extent for the beginnings of thinking, right? That's where thought starts. Oh, wait a minute. There's a, there's a world outside of me. Right. And then, right? Yeah, yeah, which is kind of Bovar's point. And, you exactly. Know, which, the mm. phrase I love is thrown into a world not of our own making. Not and of all, our own making. And all of a sudden we realize that when, holy cow, now, now what? Yes. So a child who's given too much... Um, so too much nurturing, too much care, too much, I don't mean nurturing, I mean uh, provided too much to, uh, just as they need it, is 
going to have a difficult time in the world because the world doesn't give you that. That's what Simone de Beauvoir is saying, right? Yeah. The yeah. world doesn't yeah. work like that. So, so when you have um, parents who really want to give their children perhaps what they didn't have, end up maybe giving their children, going, going the other way and giving their children too much, and then not providing their children with a sense of their own sort of agency. Well, I joke all the time uh, as a parent that I want to screw my kids up as little as possible. You know, the idea being that we're all going to, yes. as parents, screw our kids up a little bit. You know, we're going to, you know, have to. whatever, there's going to be issues, there's going to be things we'll transfer, you know, the, the fear of the dentist, you know, these kinds of things. Transgenerational yeah. trauma. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we which we need to talk about <laughs> by the sounds of it. Another documentary in the making, I understand. Yeah, that's that's right. right. You get around. Um, so... So, so, but, but, but it seems to me that isn't the idea of being a good parent about 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 um, allowing our kids to make the right choices, to to choose appropriately, to mature. Isn't that mat- isn't that maturity? Well, I wouldn't even self regulation as you yeah. Mentioned I wouldn't even say to make the right choices, just to make their just choices, make choices. and to make mistakes and to make yeah I, and yeah. to be okay with sure. with that because yeah. so many people um, who I see in here are people who feel that they've that they've made mistakes and they're not supposed to right or who feel unhappy and they're not supposed to sometimes happiness is actually an appropriate response to certain <laughs> events but you you see so so really the phrase that that uh, Do- uh, Donald Winnicott used is you know good enough parenting mm-hmm. good enough right right and, and and again so so optimal frustration good enough these are these are things that we we ought to sort of get into our minds. Do you do you do you believe in happiness? Do, I mean, you know, as a as a uh, uh, psychotherapist, psychoanalyst, or do you have another distinction? Yeah, I, I think when you say happiness, you're, you're using the, hap, the capital H. I guess so. I mean, you know, we talked about about it earlier. You know, the the the, the mask, the happiness mask, the people that you meet who are constantly up and so on. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. That's the opposite of what I do in here. Right. I'm actually trying to ask people to find ways of thinking about themselves differently, right? right so the right. space in here is about creating that space where people can sort of view themselves from a different angle and allow things that get repressed or split off to kind of come back into the self so you can experience more of yourself. Sure, sure. Experiencing more of yourself, to me, it would be my, like as much of yourself as you can in the world is my definition of happiness. Wow, interesting. But I would not but say tr- that... But your true self. Yes. Which has got to be for most of us, especially uh, for people of us who suffer from all types of anxious attachment. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult to do. It, it, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it hard to really... When, you're, when you haven't been taught that appropriate self-regulation, as you call it, yeah. or the ability to deal with the outside world, or the ability to deal with those walls, or whatever it is... Getting to the core, and I think this is where you know, and uh, she's Elizabeth will probably have some things to say if she listens to this podcast. But, <laughs> but I think she has an ability to see herself in a way that I don't. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, what I do is I tend to go. I move towards books, and uh, you know, what, what did Paul Simon say? Let my poetry and my books protect me, right? Mm. Um, boy, did I ever date myself there? But anyway, uh, <laughs> there's truth in that, right? That whole island approach, mm. you know, uh, and and um, I don't want to see myself. Because I've mm. been kind of taught or told by whoever, 
or by by the powers that be, the powers let's that say, be that yeah. I'm not worthy, mm, right? Mm, mm, I think. Mm, mm, yeah. And that's what you're trying to fight against in this room, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Very often, yeah. This idea, this voice that we end up, and and in a way, you know, it's it's kind of the superego. Uh, you right. know, there are different ways. Again, there are different ways of talking about it, and each psychoanalytic. Um, sort of school has yeah, sure. a different, as you say, poetry sure. to try to uh, put into words these these things. But that is the other thing that I'm helping people to do is to put things into words mm. that maybe they never ever have, right? And so the other, the big thing in this room, uh, aside from, as I said, free association is the unconscious. Those are the two sort of pillars, right? Yeah. Do you fall into a school? Um, well, You're my more of a training. I no, I am absolutely not a postmodernist. <laughs> I no, I I take issue. Um, no, I would say that my training, my because I I did a master's at Sheffield in psychoanalytic studies. So that's British object relations. So um, so uh, Klein, Winnicott, Beyond. These are thinkers that are really important to me. And then today, Adam Phillips, Christopher Bolas. These are the voices for me that are the most interesting in terms of thinking about psychoanalysis. But theory and technique are, you know, um, of course, you need to have a really good theory to have a very specific technique. But uh, I'm still working on sort of what those, what those will look like put together for me. Does a, is a good psychoanalyst or psychotherapist somebody who's been doing it for a long time? Do you think so? Just to talk sometimes, a little bit about that break. Yeah, yeah sometimes. Sometimes, the, the yeah. Doing practical. it, I, it's an art. Yeah, I bet it is. Psychoanalysis is, is above all an art. Well, you're building relationships, right? But a very particular kind, it seems to me. Mm. Especially in this, I'm sitting in the patient's chair. If I was on the couch, I mean, it's a, that's a different relationship, I would imagine. Mm. Yes, I mean, I think my own experience, because as an as an analytic candidate, I'm on the couch. Right. four times a week, right? So I I know that my analyst is a human being person. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> but I don't experience her that way when I'm on the couch. I experience her in some ways more as a, um, a presence that is um, really uh, a function that I will take in, that I take into my own mind. So can you be friends with your analyst? No. You you can't go out for a drink. No. You couldn't shoot a game of pool, go to see a film. Absolutely not. Okay, interesting. Because <laughs> I've wondered sometimes. I mean, clearly therapy is. Uh, I think everybody can benefit from it. I do too. Absolutely, and I think we all need it. I really do, truly do. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that's that, that's not a, a, a an admission of a liability. I don't think or relational liability. I just think we can all benefit from this other tool in our toolbox. For sure. But sometimes I wonder. If the world, and I mean the world collectively, had better friends, we might not need as much therapy. Mm. You know, if we had this ability to hold the eight-second glance, mm. if we had the ability to go deep and to be soulful and to, to penetrate beyond just, you know, that scratching of the surface most of the time, mm. we'd be wholer. And I mean that spelled W. Wholer? Yeah. You w dream of a Is world a where word? therapy... <laughs> So you dream of a world where therapy isn't necessary. Almost, well, That's almost, lovely. Almost, yeah, 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 yeah. almost, in sure. a sense. But it's not 
probably going to happen anytime soon mm. based on what I read mm. and what I see in the news and so on. You know, it's just this, you know, this whole idea of a peace is possible, but you got to put your guns down first. Mm. And mm. that's going to take a while, it mm. seems to me, before we get there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is a very specific kind of listening that happens mm. nice. in, in analysis that's different from any kind of listening outside of this room. It's unique. It's good. Um, so I, I, I do see what you're saying that if we felt more, uh, that we could be more, for, more forthcoming with the people in our lives about right. the, the transparency, authenticity. Mm, I think that's what I'm talking about, mm-hmm, Karen, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but something stops us. And so the thing that stops us is the thing that can, that, can, that actually can happen here. Like that it, the, the stop, you know here is doesn't is the thing that i'm trying to get rid of right whatever that thing is so and and you can call it what what you want resistance defense defense you know all of those things um the symptom there are many ways of looking at it but that's why we can't that's why we don't and we're afraid we're afraid that you know that the people who love us won't love us anymore if the thing is spoken the thing that we don't even know what it is mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, so putting that thing into words can uh well first of all take the sting out of it shine a light on it and um is it so you, you know fear is huge right obviously i mean talk about an huge. understatement yeah. of the century mm-hmm. is it fear of not being included is it fear of not being loved is it fear of not being embraced it 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 you know are are, are most of us um, is there a commonality? You know, is there a hu- is there a human racial connection here? Are we all racial in the sense of race that um, mm-hmm. we all share this deep desire to be loved, deep desire to be embraced, deep desire to be yeah, come on in and join the party, kind yeah. of if you know what Seen, I mean. You know, heard, understood. Seen, heard. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Born in mind. Okay, so like. Like carried in another person's mind, um, that we matter. That we matter. That we, that matter we exist. That we are understood. That we are accepted. Bridge, I think. Bridge, Bridge of Spies. Oh. Okay. So good. Good film. Okay. A little slow at parts. <laughs> loved it. Absolutely loved it. And Tom Hanks's character, and I don't think I'm giving away too much here, but he gets sort of thrown into this situation of becoming a diplomat. He's a lawyer, and it's Cold War and so on. And a couple, I think, three times throughout the film, basically he says, "This guy's life matters," mm. and it just really stood out to me. Mm. You know, this idea that yeah, okay, maybe he's a criminal, maybe he's a traitor, maybe he is a spy and a communist, and all of those things, which would have been pretty horrible to be back in the '50s and early '60s, and yet for Hanks. Hanks' character, this guy matters mm. still. Mm. That's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing, right? <laughs> yes, that a human life. Yeah, and I think it might matters. even be the phrase might even be human beings matter or something. <laughs> but it, but the way it comes out, it just for me it was like a bell going mm. off. Mm. Um, but it's definitely a, a subtext of the film for mm. sure. It's wonderful when those moments happen mm-hmm. for us. The mm-hmm. bell, the bell moments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sadly, we're going to have to wrap this up soon, I think, but and we're going to have to do part two. I hope we can. <laughs> can Can you tell me a little bit about this other film that you're working on? Because it sounds fascinating. But this this idea of transgenerational trauma. I mean, I know to to to, to say that we're about to end and then yeah. to ask you about 
transgenerational I'll, trauma I'll, is absurd. I'll try to say it really quickly. Well, I mean, the idea that we um, that we inherit we, we we inherit things from our uh, parents, our our elders, that were sort of unmetabolized in them, right? So stuff that was overwhelming, traumatizing in the generation before, makes its way through many many different ways into our um, our consciousnesses and unconsciousnesses. So, so what I'm looking at specifically in the film that I'd like to make that I'm developing is about um, transgenerational trauma in China. Hmm. People who are now uh, suffering from the uh, the after effects of the Cultural Revolution and the the horrors of the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward, and the generation now that doesn't even know why it suffers in the way that it does. And what I'm looking at is the psychoanalysts in Germany, in Norway, in Denmark, and in Canada who are helping um, people, psychoanalysts basically, the new psychoanalytic movement in China, deal with transgenerational trauma. The, the Germans specifically know how to do this really well because mm. they've got mm. lots mm -hmm. of transgenerational mm -hmm. trauma. Some even would say that the concentration camps are an answer to the deprivations that happened before, um, you know, World War One, like the starvation right. that happened in Germany, gets played out by starving all of these people. So this is the unconscious, oh, right? This okay. is tra this is yep. how transgenerational yep. trauma can enact in, in in the next generation. It can be acted out, and so what we're what we're now trying to think about is how these traumas are passed down and how they can then be actually sort of uh, digested and processed and moved through and released. Uh, the mental hospitals, psychiatric hospitals in China are filled with people who um, see posters of Mao everywhere and think that, you know, they're, it's, it's being expressed in this very... So would I, would I be one of those? So I was born in 65. Mm -hmm. so, would it, so would my parents have passed on some of that to me had I been Chinese? So in other words, well, here you would have I'm, been born in the I'm cultural revolution. Right in the middle of the revolution. Cultural revolution is, uh, or yeah. would it be my kids you'd be looking at more, or both? Both. Both. Yes, in the cultural revolution, you denounced people and they went and got right. murdered. You, as a teenager at the time, or your parents even might have been Red Guard, you know, yep. or yeah, their sure. siblings, sure. Um, and they would have they would have maybe murdered some people. They would have maybe been persecuted themselves. And it's then later you have to live with those people who survived and the people you bullied and the people who um, bullied you. Uh, often you did both, bullied and were, you know. It's fascinating. For me, for me so I'm hoping to do a PhD in, in, in philosophy. I'm, I'm actually uh, submitting an application really soon. Uh, that is so eth cool. Ethics and uh, international development to be collaborative. And what I'm going to focus on is the issue of trust. And so most people wind up in Rome, but all roads for me lead back to Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And so as most of my listeners will know, and so this issue of trust in Cambodia deeply um, goes, I mean, it just resonates on so many different levels. And I would imagine there's some similar, very similar things going on with this idea of transgenerational trauma. Absolutely. This, you know, we've got a, a culture, I mean, in the Khmer Rouge in the mm -hmm. 70s and uh, anyway, the, I think the connections are really interesting. But for you, is it about trust? So you've got these people mm. who have, you know, maybe led to other people dying. You've had people, you know, uh, the indoctrination, the camps, etc. I mean, isn't it isn't it really a breakdown of that? 
I was going to say veneer, but it's not a veneer. I mean, you you hope it goes a little deeper than that. I think it's trust that my story or experience is going to be held and heard. So this is the idea behind Truth and Reconciliation Commissions. It's, right, which a lot of people don't agree with, right, and don't see the value in. But, well, I certainly do, because again, and everything we've really been talking about today is about kind of story. It right? is, yeah, and that's, which is so amazing to me. When yeah. I say that things are of a piece for me, documentary, psychoanalysis, therapy, all of this, it's all about story. and. And so in a place like Cambodia, in a place like China, people need to tell their story. They need to speak the thing that was unspeakable. And they need to be heard and they need to know that they are heard and they need to hear themselves too. Um, and I think, I think it's crucial. That, that's what pe people need to know that their experience is, you know, we're back to kind of Held. mattering, aren't we? Yes. In a way? Yes, that they matter. That they matter, that their story yeah. matters, that this wasn't all for naught, as my father would say. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow, incredible stuff. I Thanks so much for joining us today. I hate to, 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 to end it there, but I mean, it just it feels like we're just starting. I mean, I so often will say with my guests that I feel like we're just scratching the surface, and we truly, we truly are. And I think part two, I'm taking your chair. <laughs> and you can have yeah. this chair and we'll see if there's a, yeah yeah so yeah usually i'm the one who says okay we have to stop <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> thank you so much karen doherty um dot ca uh, check out karen's practice online i'm sure there's other info there as well uh film coming out soon uh, yeah in the spring in the spring excellent mm -hmm. and that's going to be on the pep web network is that pep yeah. web uh website yes it's a it's a database and yes amazing well all, all the best with all the work you have coming up and again thanks for being a guest today on that show thank you thank you so much i really enjoyed it ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast, og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.